Our sermon text today is from Philemon. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. Remember, Philemon is last of Paul's letters, and it is right before the book of Hebrews. We'll be looking at the first or verses eight through sixteen. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." All flesh is grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Who we are, what we are, and where we are in history matter. The cultural environment that we inhabit, it affects the way that we encounter all different media and interpret data. This applies to secular texts and books and even movies. But it also applies to how we approach the Bible and the perspectives that we bring to the text. Uh, We can see this pattern even in the Bible itself. Within Israel's state of Babylonian captivity, they read the historical account of the Exodus in terms of their situation there, even in Babylon. So, for example, in the Psalms, we see many examples of the psalmist calling on the example of God's past faithfulness to his people to bring encouragement in the present situation. Likewise, we see the same theme in the prophets, who pictured the new covenant deliverance of God's people as a new exodus, God bringing us through the waters of judgment and to his temple for worship. Like Israel of old... We're tempted to interpret Scripture in light of our own cultural context and situation. In the history of the American church, with the history of slavery which we have, the book of Philemon has been used in different ways. Some have used it to defend slavery. Others have used it as a call for the abolition of slavery. While understandable, both of these approaches it fails to interpret Philemon within its own particular cultural context. 
To understand Paul's message here, we need to appreciate that he is speaking into his first century context fundamentally and into our 20th century context, post-chattel slavery, secondarily. It's from this perspective that we can better understand the spiritual implications of this small letter. Above the spiritual and physical bifurcation present in this letter stands the gospel, which proclaims a spiritual liberation, which has definite, yes, implications for how we relate to other human beings created in the image of God, and especially to those who are united to Christ with us. While it is necessary to view Philemon from our own cultural situation, because that's where we live, we must also address it in its first century context. Paul lived in a cultural and economic context in which it was virtually impossible uh, to think about a world that did not have slavery. It was just part of that life then. So we need to understand that as we approach it. So as we're viewing Paul's letter to Philemon, we're going to view it from his historical context and then apply it to our situation. Doing this, we'll see that the gospel of God's grace, it speaks into the most lowly conditions of humanity, enslaved to sin. But we'll also see the power of the gospel to transcend our fallen condition and to make even a master and a slave one in Christ, brothers, equal in the Lord's eyes. In this text, we'll see that union with Christ is the only characteristic which counts in God's economy of grace. And that union with Christ determines how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ fundamentally. Uh, To come to this conclusion, we're going to consider this passage uh, from three different angles. First, we're going to look at the requirement, uh, verses 8 through 12. Second, we'll look at the request, verses 13 through 14. And finally, we'll look at the reception, verses 15 through 16. The requirement, the request, and the reception. Let's look at that first point. Paul has addressed this small letter to Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the church in Philemon's house. You remember, if we talk, as we talked about the other week, that Paul is doing this He's writing to an individual, but he brings it into the context of the church to hold these individuals accountable for how they receive this letter. So the primary target of Paul's letter here, though, is Philemon. And beginning in verse 8, Paul focuses all of his address on Philemon itself, going to the singular. Paul has just rejoiced over the joy and comfort which he has received through Philemon's love which has refreshed, remember, the hearts of the Tosplachna of the saints. In response to this, he goes on in verse 8, Accordingly, accordingly, even as you have done this, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Here Paul is saying that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he has much boldness, and indeed he has the authority to command Philemon to do what Paul views as necessary. The word translated as what's required, it refers to something that's harmonious, something that's fitting, something that's appropriate in light of what Paul talked about earlier, the gospel grace which Philemon has experienced 
Himself. In other words, the grace and peace which comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it calls for a reciprocal response from believers to extend that grace to others as well. So rather than commanding Philemon, though, to do what Paul thinks is necessary and required, he states instead in verse 9 that yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. Earlier in verse 7, Paul told Philemon that he has derived much joy and comfort from Philemon's love as he has refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now Paul is making an appeal on the basis of that same love which Philemon has shown in the context of the church. Notice how Paul gives a a parenthetic description of himself. He says that as the person making the appeal, he says, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Here Paul describes himself in two ways. Uh, Presbyptis, or he's an aged or an old man. In this context, it could be referring to the weakness of old age. But more likely, this term was used to have an honored position. Even in some cultures, uh, we still honor those who are older as having wisdom and an authority which they have gained through a life of growing in wisdom. Paul also describes himself, though, in a contrasting term. He's both an old man, aged, honorable, but also now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. As in verse 1, as Paul opened this, he foregrounded his identity as someone who is in chains. But he's in chains for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, By doing this again, by stating that he's now a prisoner, he's once again identifying himself with the weak condition that Onesimus finds himself in as a slave. Um, Really, when he was captured, If he was captured, Onesimus would have been bound in chains as well. So Paul is identifying himself with uh, Onesimus in this situation. This is the basis on which Paul will make his appeal. Not as an apostle of Christ that could have commanded it to be done. Nor even as just an elderly saint worthy of respect as an ambassador of Christ but as a slave and prisoner on behalf of Christ. He focuses on his sociological weakness in order to highlight the soteriological strength and power of Christ. So he states in verses 10 through 11, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This is the first time that the subject person of the letter is named formally by Paul, Onesimus. In the first century, this was a common name, particularly for a slave. And the name actually means uh, useful. And Paul describes Onesimus as his child, whose father he became in his imprisonment. 
So not only is Paul identifying himself with Philemon's slave on a sociological level, but he's calling himself a slave and prisoner, but also that he has become a father in the faith to Onesimus in his imprisonment. Uh, Paul was playing on that pun of Onesimus' name, which means useful, by saying that formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. As a runaway slave, Onesimus has proved himself to be useless and even detrimental to his master. But now Paul is saying that something has happened. He's been converted under Paul's ministry, and now he is useful both to Paul and to his master, Philemon. To highlight this point of his usefulness, Paul states in verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. In truth, we don't know the exact situation which separated Onesimus and Philemon. From the data we have, the most likely situation is that Onesimus is a runaway slave who in the Lord's providence encountered Paul and became converted. And here Paul affirms that whatever the circumstances, though, that led to it, Onesimus has become converted under his ministry in prison, and he is now a child in the faith to Paul, even as Philemon is himself. Despite this new situation in Christ, Paul knew that according to Roman law, Onesimus was liable to severe punishment and even uh, the death penalty. In recognition of this, though, Paul sends him back because he does rightly belong to Philemon. But in doing this, Paul wants Philemon to understand that Onesimus is no longer that runaway slave. But he's a spiritual child of Paul, and a brother in the Lord to Philemon. So he states, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. We've talked about this word translated as heart. Paul has already used it. In verse 7, he rejoiced in the fact that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon's love. The word used there is tosplachna. It's used in reference to Onesimus here. Uh, This referred to the inner, deepest seat of the emotions. Our word heart doesn't even quite get to it. Uh, When you say the toss block, you're talking about your innermost deep emotions and person. And this is what Paul is identifying Onesimus is now. He's Paul's very heart, whom he is sending back to Philemon. And Philemon has a track record of refreshing hearts of the saints. So Paul is asking him to refresh my heart by receiving Onesimus back. In other words, he's calling on Philemon to no longer think merely in terms of this world with its categories and social classifications, but to recognize reality as it's reconstituted in the person and work of Christ. For Philemon, this represents a difficult situation. In earthly terms, Onesimus is his slave who has likely wronged him and run away from his service as a slave. But Paul is calling on him to no longer conceive of Onesimus in these sociological terms, but to view him now as Paul's child in the faith and as a brother equal in 
the Lord. It's an amazing, transformative message which Paul is speaking. But this is a big ask for Philemon. And it's a big ask for us. This text calls on all of us to lay aside all earthly and sociological classifications and to view people as created in the image of God and to view our brothers and sisters in Christ as those who are equal in the Lord and are united to the same head, even as we are. We must no longer recognize and identify people as they exist in the spectrum of this world, as rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, for we must recognize people as they're reconstituted in Christ and their brothers and sisters in the Lord. As such, they are worthy of all honor and respect. And this has great implications for all of us. Even as we were at camp the other week, we were reflecting on the fact that we are individually temples of the Lord. And when you start viewing it that way, it affects how you treat people in all manner of situations. We need to honor people as they have been honored in the Lord, regardless of where they fall on what we consider a lower rung of the social spectrum. The gospel transcends these worldly distinctions. So we've just looked at the requirement. Now let us consider our second point, the request. In making his appeal on behalf of Onesimus, Paul has identified him as a child in the faith. Indeed, he describes Onesimus as his very heart. In saying this, Paul wants Philemon to understand that his slave, which was once useless, is now useful both to him and Paul. In verse 13, he begins to explain in what way Onesimus has become useful. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Here Paul begins to form an implicit request. He desired to keep Onesimus with him so that he might serve him in his imprisonment. This seems to indicate that Onesimus was already taking up this task of caring for Paul. Not only is he valuable to Paul, he's valuable to Philemon. You see, Roman imprisonment was not three hots in a cot. You literally relied on your friends and family to live, even for water, for any kind of food, for clothing, for all these things. Paul is in need of the service of a saint to care for him, and Onesimus has been doing this service for him, and Paul would have gladly kept him for this service. Yet, as Paul has laid down his apostolic rights earlier, saying that he's not commanding what's required, but for love's sake he appeals to Philemon. Likewise, in verse 14 he says, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. As an apostle, Paul could have strong-armed Philemon in this situation, and just commanded and enforced what he thought needed to be done. But Paul does not do that because it is against his ultimate purpose of bringing about reconciliation between a master and a slave as united in Christ. Earlier, Paul had prayed for Philemon that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. 
Now Paul is calling on Philemon to express that goodness in a concrete and messy situation. It sounds good to talk about refreshing the hearts of the saints and expressing that love and good deeds until you get to a concrete situation of a runaway slave, anger between you both, fear. This is what the gospel looks like, though, in this concrete situation. The Greek reflects this better than the ESV uh, translates it as your goodness. A more accurate, and it's really clunky, you can't really do it, but the translation could be something like, the good which is yours. Uh, Paul's not just talking about a quality of Philemon, of goodness. He's saying that there is a particular good which belongs to you to do. The point Paul is not considering this as a quality of Philemon, but he's thinking of a particular good deed which belongs to Philemon to perform, namely, to receive Onesimus back as a brother and to send him back implicitly to Paul and his imprisonment to serve on behalf of Philemon. In this short letter, Paul provides us with a crash course of pastoral ministry in the midst of a crisis. As an apostle, as the spiritual authority in this situation, it would have been tempting to just deal with it by making commands to fix the situation as he saw best. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul's not a spiritual bully. Rather, he seeks to fix their eyes on Christ and the grace of the gospel. Ultimately, Paul is not seeking someone to serve him, but rather he is seeking to reconcile this master and this slave in a way that transcends all earthly expectations. And in this, Paul provides an example for us. As John Calvin writes, By his example, he shows that pastors should endeavor to draw disciples gently rather than drag them by force. And indeed, when by condescending to entreaty, he foregoes his right. This has far greater power to obtain his wish than if he issued a command. Calvin's against dragging people. He wants pastors to be gentle and to follow the example of Paul, who follows the example of Christ, who's gentle and lowly, and who receives sinners and does not turn them back. As pastors and elders, we do not seek obedience for obedience' sake. As believers, we do not seek to obey grudgingly. Rather, we recognize God's grace in our lives, and we express gratitude by extending that same grace to others. This is what Paul is seeking in this letter. He wants Philemon and Onesimus to recognize that they are both wretched sinners in need of Christ. And now they are spiritual brothers. This transcends their earthly situation. And in recognizing that they are in Christ, he wants them to be who they are in Christ and to treat each other as they should. This brings us to our next and last point. We have just considered the the requirement, and we've just looked at the request. Now let us consider the reception. Paul has talked about what is required of Philemon, and he's just made an implicit request of Philemon that he would send Onesimus back to him to serve him on behalf of the gospel. But now he speaks about a reception which is at the heart of this letter. So Paul states in verse 15, For perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, 
that you might have him back forever. Uh, With this statement, this perhaps, Paul introduces the idea of divine providence. Uh, This verse is a good example of what we call a divine passive, where there's not an agent in place, but the clear agent is God. God is the one who has brought about this situation. Perhaps, Paul says, this is why. He was parted from you. God is a clear subject. He has parted Onesimus from Philemon for a time. Notice, too, the contrast. Onesimus has been separated from Philemon for a while, or more literally, for an hour. This was their smallest unit of time. And Paul is emphasizing the shortness of this situation, that Onesimus was separated from him for a brief period so that, and here's the contrast, you may receive him forever as a brother. From as far back as John Chrysostom and church history, uh, pastors and teachers have connected this text, this perhaps, with the situation of Joseph in Egypt where is a clear example of God's providence working through a messy situation. And the Lord has purpose in it. So Paul goes on to state that you may receive him back no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What does Paul mean here by saying no longer as a bondservant or slave? Is he commanding Onesimus to be freed from his status as a slave? As mentioned earlier, this letter has been used both to support and to go against slavery. But what is Paul actually saying? Well, in a situation like this, it's good to read uh, these passages in light of Paul's other letters. For example, in Galatians 3.28, Paul will state that there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Does this mean that these physical distinctions or earthly categories just disappear? Of course not. Paul is speaking spiritually in terms of salvation. In Christ, our race, our gender, and our social position, they don't ultimately matter, but only one thing, and that's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet our faith in Christ does not do away with our race, our gender, or our social position. Rather, these identities need to be understood with our reconstituted reality of being united to Christ and fundamentally identified in Him. Even as Paul is speaking into this situation, he is trying to highlight this reality and to emphasize our dual citizenship. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Philemon needs to perceive him as not just a runaway slave, nor merely as a slave, but as a brother in Christ who has been saved by the same gospel of grace. Within this difficult situation between a master and slave, Paul is highlighting the Lord's providence. Nothing happens for no reason. God has sovereignly orchestrated this difficult situation in order to bring Onesimus to faith and to sanctify Philemon in his faith. Thus, Paul calls on Philemon to receive Onesimus no longer according to the worldly status as a slave, but through faith receive him as a brother. What this ultimately would look like in their situation, their earthly situation, it's difficult to say. In this time, 
a lot of times it's worse off to be freed as a slave because then you have no, no house, no protection, no legal rights. It's a more complicated situation than we tend to think uh, from our 20th century perspective. With these verses, though, Paul's main intent and request have been expressed. Amid this terrible and messy situation between a master and slave, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has intruded itself, and the apostle of Christ is intervening on behalf of Christ. Paul is telling Philemon, a wealthy person and a prominent Christian leader, to understand that our earthly positions and situations, they don't constitute our fundamental identity in the church. Through our faith, all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ, with our status and worth found in Christ, not our own person and works. In the same way, Paul's message to Philemon comes to us all. All of us come from many different backgrounds and perspectives. All of us come from different cultural and sociological perspectives and situations. Yet all of us who have professed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us who are united to him by that faith, we need to understand that our identity is found principally in Christ. This world tempts us. It's easier to guard people in terms of their class, in terms of their looks, in terms of their race and relations, in terms of their, national, their natural abilities and their net worth. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ cuts through all of these earthly and worldly realities, and it calls on all of us to identify each other under this simple rubric, whether or not they are in Christ by faith. And looking at a book like Philemon, it brings us to consider and reflect much on who we are and what we do in this world in connection to our identity in Christ. I'll ask you, how do you view yourself What gives you confidence? What is the grounds of your boasting? Do you rely on your own productivity, your personality, or professional performance? If so, this letter of Philemon challenges us to evaluate and to estimate ourselves not in accordance with the world's understanding of success and failure, but in accordance with the Lord and what is pleasing to Him. In many ways, this is a difficult letter, but it's also a simple letter. In this letter, Paul is asking us to consider God's providence, to consider and understand that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. As fallen human beings, we can be spiteful, we can be arrogant, we can be vindictive and selfish and many other things. But in Christ, we have been received We have been forgiven, and we have been welcomed into the household of God. As recipients of such mercy, we must respond in faith and grace to receive repentant sinners and to receive them not temporarily, but understanding that that person sitting next to you, that person across the room, they aren't going to be with you for a brief moment. That person is a brother that you can, brother or sister, that you will be with eternity. Let us live in light of that reality. Let us exalt Christ and honor those who he honors. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of your gospel. We thank you that you receive 
sinners such as we are, slaves to sin, and that you give us your spirit of freedom. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would just help us to identify ourselves in Christ and to see others as they are in Christ. We pray that you would help us do that even now as we continue the service of worship. May it be glorifying in your sight. Amen. In our passage today, Paul identifies himself with the weak and lowly as a prisoner on behalf of Christ. In this meal, the Lord identifies himself with us with sinners, in that he gave himself for us. His body and his blood was shed for us and for our salvation. At this table, there's no room for masters and slaves or for any of these kind of distinctions. This is a family table. In Christ, you are equal, you are honored, because you are the son in the son, a daughter in the eternal son. As such, this meal is for family. If you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not professed your faith, if you're not a member in a Bible-believing church and you're actively repenting of your sins and seeking to live by faith in Christ, I would ask that you let these elements pass. We don't want what's to be a blessing to turn into a curse for you. But never let Christ pass. As he is being displayed at this table is for your faith. So I'd say, let the elements pass, but look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, For those of us who are trusting in him, this meal is to be an encouragement to our walk in the Lord and to remind us each week of our fundamental identity in Christ Jesus. As such, let us uh, pray that the Lord would bless and use these common elements to our spiritual good. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, how thankful we are that you, the immortal God, took on mortality, that for us men and women, boys and girls, you became incarnate and were born of the Virgin Mary, and you lived a life that we could not live, and you died a death that we deserved. And Lord, you give us this meal to show us how great your love is and how you identify with us. We pray that we would have our faith uh, nourished through these simple and ordinary elements. We pray that you would bless them to this use. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.